talking to you about controlling the mind. How difficult it is to control the mind and why it's difficult to control the mind. Even Arjun in the Gita raised the same concern to Sri Krishna because Sri Krishna kept telling him, give your mind to me, attach your mind to me. So Arjun says, this mind is not something solid that I can just get my hands on and hand over to you. If I could, I would do it, but it's not that easy. Chanchalam Himanah Krishna Pramathi Balavadridham Tasyaham Nigraham Manye Vayoriva Sudushkaram Oh Krishna, this mind is more difficult to control than the wind. It is so chanchal. It is so powerful. Its movements cannot be controlled. It goes this way, it goes that way. It would be easier to control the wind than it would be to control my own mind. So Sri Krishna said, Asanshayam Mahabaho Mano Durnigraham Chalam he agreed that certainly the mind is durnigra, it is difficult to control. But he did not say it's impossible to control. He said, Arjun, by practicing you can control your mind through abhyas. I explained to you yesterday exactly what that abhyas is. The abhyas means repeatedly thinking about God as a source of happiness, as the source of happiness for our soul. The only source of happiness who could satisfy us perfectly because God is perfect happiness. The more we think about that, the more our mind will get attached to God. And the more our mind becomes attached to God, the more natural thinking of God becomes. Because meditation is just thinking. Deeply thinking about someone is meditation. Deeply thinking about God is what we're trying to do when we do dhyana. We form that image in our mind and we try to keep our mind engaged in thinking of that. Deeply thinking about God. But since our attachment in the world is greater than our attachment to God, so our mind always gets pulled away. So the abhyas is just saying, okay, my mind went back in the world, now I have to bring it back to God. That's our abhyas. We have to do that over and over and over again. Luckily, not as many times as we did to create our worldly attachments. Because we've created our worldly attachments by thinking the world is the source of happiness for me. Uncountable times. That's how many times we've thought that in order to create the extent of worldly attachments that we currently have. An unlimited amount of abhyas we've done to put our mind firmly attached in this world because we've lived uncountable lifetimes. And in every life we further strengthen that faith through thinking this, that I will get happiness from this world, I will get happiness. So if it was required to think the same thing for God an equal number of times as, as we've thought it for the world, 
no one could ever catch up because it's all already been an unlimited number of times. Luckily, due to God's grace and due to the, the power of the attraction that we will start feeling for God once we go a little bit in that direction, our road towards God is much shorter than the amount of time it took us to develop these worldly attachments. Nonetheless, we still have to think it many millions of times, not unlimited millions of times, but many millions of times we have to think happiness is in God. All our worldly desires do not have to be eliminated on this path of bhakti. Many people fear doing this devotion to God from their mind because they think that it means I have to eliminate all of my desires, I have to eliminate all of my attachments. It's easier for me to just do physical formalities to God and leave my mind attached in the world. That's what I would prefer to do. God, you can give me some benefit for that, right? If I do some formalities to you but I keep my mind in the world, you'll give me something better than nothing. This is what we think sometimes. But actually, attaching our mind to God doesn't have to be a fearful thing. On the path of bhakti, we don't give up desires and attachments. We keep them, but we divert them towards God. What kind of desires do we have? Five kinds. Five desires related to our five senses. Of course, it all stems from the original desire for happiness. But that desire for happiness we try to fulfill through five other kinds of desires. You can call the desire for happiness the demanding desire. And the other desires the fulfilling desires. We don't desire them just because. We desire them because they will fulfill our desire for happiness. Or at least we have that faith. We have that hope that they would. So we have desire to see something beautiful that will make us happy. Desire to taste something good that will make us happy. Desire to smell something nice that will make us happy. Desire to touch something comforting that will make us happy. Desire to hear something beautiful that will make us happy. Five kinds of desires. Quite naturally the mind does not want to give up these desires. On other paths, for instance the path of Jnana or the path of Yoga, which we discussed earlier in the week, it is required to give up these desires. Before you even start trying to meditate on formless God, which is part of the practice of Jnana, you do have to give up those desires. Just cut it out. Stop it totally. In bhakti, we don't give up the desires, we divert them towards God. And God, knowing the state of our material mind, has given us all kinds of divine objects to attach our mind to. In other words, what are the objects? The objects are His various forms. They are 
many times more beautiful than the most beautiful things in this world. So take all your desires of the five senses and divert them towards God. Take your desire for sight to see something beautiful. Instead of telling your mind, oh no, we can't have that desire, that's wrong. Just say, why do you want to see something beautiful in this world? Because that will make me happy. Okay, now go back to the philosophy. How much happiness will you get from that? A limited happiness. Some happiness, but limited. And how much happiness are we being told that we'll get when we meet God face to face? Unlimited happiness. So the beauty of this world is limited, and the beauty of God is unlimited. This is what we're told. We haven't experienced it yet because we don't have divine eyes. But when that desire is there for unlimited happiness, unlimited beauty, when that desire is there, you have two choices. You say, either my desire for unlimited happiness is just plain wrong, because there is no such thing as that in this world. That much any intelligent person would have to accept. There is no perfect happiness in the world. We trust our own experience, don't we? <laughs> We've been trying our whole life and we failed to find this perfect happiness, yet our heart desires it. So either we tell our heart, that desire is wrong, you're just going to have to settle for what you get from this world, or you say, you make a choice. I'm going to have faith in what the saints and scriptures are telling me. I desire that perfect happiness, there must be a reason I desire it. And not just me, we all desire perfect happiness. So our scriptures give us a perfectly good reason why. That God is perfect happiness and you are his hunch. And it's the nature of every hunch to desire his unsheathed. That is why you want perfect happiness. So then again we have the choice. Do we accept a logical explanation? And decide to have faith until we get to the point of experience? Or do we just say, you know what? I can't accept that and I'm going to settle for this. That's our choice. We're not punished. Or, or uh, you know, held in contempt for not accepting these things. But it's a choice we make. That no, I don't believe that's possible. I'm just going to settle for this. But those who really want that perfect happiness and refuse to settle for the limitations of worldly happiness, then they have to decide, yes, I'm going to initially accept based on faith that God is and He is perfect happiness and I can reach Him, I can experience Him. And once we make that decision, then we start moving forward. So saints have told us, one single hair from the head of Sri Krishna is uncountable times more beautiful than the most beautiful personality of this Brahman, Kamdev. And Kamdev's beauty is enough that if he appeared here in this room right now, we would all faint. 
We would faint because our mind could not hold that much enjoyment of seeing His beauty. The fragrance from Him would be so make us feel so much joy that we would faint. Our mind could not bear it. That's just Kamvev, the topmost personality in terms of beauty in our Brahman. And he faints seeing Shri Krishna's beauty. Shri Krishna's beauty is uncountable times greater than the greatest material beauty. This is how saints have explained it. So we don't have to tell our mind that the desire to see something beautiful is wrong. We just tell our mind, if you want to see the most beautiful thing, then desire for Krishna. Because pretty much all of us, whatever is beautiful to be seen in this world, we've seen it. The only thing that's left is more variations on the same thing. You saw one beautiful face, you've seen them all. Some variation, this one's eyes are a little this bigger, this one's mouth is more shaped like this. Same basic idea, you saw one natural scene, you've pretty much seen them all. <laughs> you have different variations, but it's not like all of a sudden you're going to see something that's just going to flatten you. Like, oh, I never imagined something like this could exist in this world. No, you, we've all pretty much seen what this world has to offer. Same thing goes for smell, same thing goes for taste. Yet we keep hoping, oh no, no I'm going to find something better. I'm going to find the best thing in this world. So instead of giving up that hope, just divert it towards God. Say, oh, you want to smell the best thing? The divine fragrance of Krishna's natural perfume and the fragrance of the flowers in the divine abode. That's the greatest thing. So like this, you take all of your desires. Imagine if Krishna put his hand on your shoulder. A loving, comforting touch feels good in this world. Imagine what it would feel like coming from Shri Krishna. That's called Brahma Sparsh. Getting actual contact with God. So all of our five senses can be funneled and the desires that go along with them can be funneled towards Shri Krishna. Then instead of trying to trap our mind in, you see there's an example given, if you tell the mind, no, you have to give up all of these desires, don't go towards the world, that's like trying to trap a bumblebee in a wooden box. This wooden box can be extremely well made by a great craftsman. And that bumblebee, using his sharp teeth, will chew a hole through that wood and escape that hard wooden box. That's like our mind. You try to hold it in some kind of a hard trap. No, don't go that way. It just finds its way out and goes that way. But that same bumblebee can be trapped in a lotus flower because it's attracted by the nectar and the fragrance of that flower. So the petals of the flower are so much softer than a wooden box, yet they have the power to, because the bumblebee is there enjoying the nectar of the flower, so even though the sun goes down, he doesn't fly away and the petals close up around him. And he doesn't mind, he stays there enjoying. 
That's Shri Krishna. Shri Krishna is that lotus flower and our mind is like the bumblebee. Many forms of meditation where we try to think of nothing or we try to control the mind, that's like trying to trap that mind, that bumblebee in a hard wooden box. Eventually it gets out. And just diverting all the activity and desires of the mind towards Shri Krishna is like using that lotus flower to attract the bumblebee. So it's much easier. One is like trying to pump water back uphill. When, a wa when some water has come all the way down the mountain and you decide, I want to get the water back up the mountain, you start pumping it, takes a lot of work, it takes so much energy to pump that water back up. And the second you stop pumping, what happens? The water immediately starts coming back down. So that's what it's like trying to force the mind to abandon its worldly attachments and desires. It's like pumping that water uphill and as soon as you lose concentration for a second, it comes back to the world. But bhakti is just diverting that stream of water. Instead of pushing it back uphill, you dig a deeper trench next to wherever the water is running. You want to divert it, dig a deeper trench next to it, the water will flow along that deeper trench. In other words, don't give up your desires. Just say, instead of desiring happiness from these worldly things, I'm going to desire the very same happiness from Shri Krishna. So we just take the easy path. This is what Rupyan is. Aside from diverting our desires towards Shri Krishna, there's one other really important thing that we need to develop in our heart in order to quickly increase our attachment to Him. Attachment to Him is important because the more our attachment grows, the more our mind naturally tends in His direction. We get attached to people for two reasons. Either we believe they will be a source of happiness for us, and we repeatedly keep thinking about that, or we believe that we are related to them. And the more times we think, I am related to this person, this person is mine, the more attached we become. So the same two things are used in creating attachment in the mind for Sri Krishna. You have to think repeatedly, he is happiness. I will get perfect happiness when I reach him. And you have to think, he is mine. This word mine is actually vague. Because you could say, my what? Who is he to me? If you feel related to someone, there's generally a specific relationship. You feel, oh, this person is my friend. And there's a particular feeling that goes along with that affinity you have for a friend. There's a different feeling you have, but it's also affinity. It's an attraction between your heart and that person. You have a different feeling of affinity for your child. 
the mindness is still there, the mamata is there, but it's slightly different than feeling, oh, this is my friend, this is my child, this is my husband or my wife. It's also a feeling of ownness. But it's different than other relationships. You can also feel, this is my boss. There's some affinity there. You can feel, this is my king. I'm a subject to, to this king. I'm a subject to this queen. There's some relationship there. This is my master and I'm a servant. These are all different relationships we have in the world. This is my brother, my sister. Saints have explained that we can have the very same relationship or we should develop the very same relationship in our mind with Sri Krishna. They have called these bhav, and they've said there are five main bhav that you can use to attach your mind to God. The names they have been given are shant bhav, dasya bhav, sakya bhav, vatsali bhav, and madhuri bhav. These are important because if we don't adopt one of these relational feelings in our meditation when we're thinking of God, then there's too much distance between us and God. We have to create a feeling of attachment to God, a feeling of ownness, mamata, He's mine. That has to be there. So in order to create that feeling, saints have said, you can adopt one of five relations in your mind when you meditate on Krishna or when you think of Him. The first one, Shant Bhav, is the relationship of a subject to the king or queen. This is how most people think about God. That you are the great supreme ruler of the universe. And I am a soul in your kingdom. This whole universe being your kingdom. So I am a subject and you are the ruler. You are the king. People think like this about God, and this is called Shantabha. However, the relationship between a subject and a king is not very close, is it? The king can be admired by the subject, but the subject does not have freedom to go and talk to the king anytime he wants. To, and even if he could go and talk to the king, there would be such a formality required. There would be so many restrictions on how he could interact with the king. But that same king would also have some servants in his palace, in his quarters. The servant who has to sweep the floor in the king's bedroom he doesn't have to ask permission from the king to come and do his chores, do his seva. He just knows, okay, it's working hours, I go. At this time, I go in. So that servant is much closer to the king, who he views now as his master, not just the king, but he's my master. 
So he's much closer than an average subject. In fact, even if another head of state comes to visit, that head of state doesn't have direct access to the king's inner quarters, cannot come and meet with the king anytime he wants, but the servant is always around the king and has access to the king's inner quarters. Yet, there's still quite a bit of distinction between the king and the king's servant. Even in your own house, if you have hired someone, although in America we don't call it a master and servant relationship, the, employee, the employer and the employee basically have this relationship. So let's say if you've hired someone to clean your house, or you've hired someone to do some gardening for you, and that person just, you know, maybe you're sitting on the couch in your living room, and the person you've hired to clean your house is cleaning, and then they just come and plop down on the couch beside you and say, hey, how's it going today? You think, what's gotten into this one today? In other words, you expect there's, in that relationship, there's a mariada, which is required. There's a formality, which causes a restriction in how you can behave together. So, even the servant who's allowed into the king's inner chamber, the servant still has many rules that he has to follow. He can't chat with the king informally. He can't sit on the same seat that the king is sitting on. But he's still much closer than the average subject. The king would also have some friends. Probably boyhood friends, childhood friends, who have known the king for his whole life, before he even knew he was a prince who was going to sit on the throne, back when he just thought of himself as a normal little boy. If he has some childhood friends like that, when they come and visit him, and it's in private, there's no general public around, then that friend doesn't have to doesn't have to treat the king like the king at all. In fact, this is why the king keeps these friends. Because he wants to be around someone that he doesn't have to act like the king with. So when that friend comes over, that friend can tease the king. Oh, you think you're a real big shot, don't you? And the king likes it. He can tell old stories about the king, embarrass him, Things that if someone did in the general public, they might get in big trouble for. The king enjoys from his personal friends. He can sit on the same seat as the king, talk casually, joke around. This is called sakhibha. These same relationships are adopted with God, even though we can't physically interact with him, because we haven't met him yet, that comes after God-realization. But in our meditation, we do imagine all of these interactions. We meditate on being with Sri Krishna in our meditation. So if you adopt Shantabhav, it's very limiting because he's just, you would admire him from a distance. 
like a subject would admire his king. That's fine, at least there's some relationship there. But if you want to get closer, in a closer relationship the attachment develops more quickly. So you could feel yourself to be the servant. You could adopt Dasya Bhav. Dasya Bhav also includes Shant Bhav because the, the servant is also a subject of the king, is he not? So it includes the feelings of Shant Bhav but gives more. So you can consider yourself to be Sri Krishna's servant. You can love him with this dasya bhav, that you are my benevolent master, my loving master, and I am your humble, loyal servant. And you get great happiness in trying to please Krishna, to give him happiness through your seva. If you want to go beyond this, you could adopt sakya bhav. Sakyabhav means you actually consider yourself to be Sri Krishna's friend. Now the first two someone may say, these are quite natural. Anyone, no one would have uh, much hesitation in adopting Shantbhav or Dasyabhav because you're giving that full respect to God and you feel like you're in your proper place, right? He is great. I'm small. But someone may have some hesitation in adopting Sakyabhav because they may say, you know, how dare a soul think of themselves as being equal with, with Sri Krishna? How dare a soul joke around with God or behave in a casual way with God as a friend would in Sakyabhav? So Sri Krishna has said in the Gita, Ye yathamam prapadyante tas tathaiva bhajamyam However you love me, I will love you the same way in return. You have my permission to love me any way you want. Any way you would love someone in the world, you can have the same feelings for me. And then also after God-realization, He divinizes those feelings and that relationship and gives that to you and you receive that relationship with Him forever in the Divine world. It's based on which relationship you adopt during your devotional period while you do Rudhyana. So there's no problem from Krishna's side. If you want to think of Him as a friend, you go right ahead. Think of him as a friend. When he descended on this earth planet, took avatar, he was still supreme God. He was not a material being. He did not take a material form. He was still supreme God in his absolute divine form. But he made himself visible at one place on our earth, even though he was still everywhere. And when he came, he brought uncountable saints with him. And with those saints, he revealed Leelas. The Leelas were revealed in order to make the souls understand 
that you can also love me in this way. So he came with uncountable sakibhau saints from the divine world who descended on this earth planet with Sri Krishna. They took birth on this earth in order to be a part of those divine leelas so that Krishna could do those leelas and then through scriptures like the Bhagavatam and the writings of other saints that describe these leelas, we can know about all these interactions between Krishna and his friends. So Brahma, after getting cured of his confusion, where he saw Krishna playing with his friends, sitting, having lunch together, and Brahma was thinking, this is God, and none of these boys are treating him as God. They're feeding him food that they've already taken a bite out of because they think, oh, this is so good. Krishna would like this and they give it to him. Or they're snatching food out of his mouth or they're joking with him. How can they be so casual and informal with him and how does Krishna let them get away with it? He's supposed to be God. He should make them respect him properly. So he got confused. Afterwards, when he received the grace of Sri Krishna, then he understood, oh, Krishna is God, but he is giving this relationship to the souls. Those saints, those souls who worshipped him with Sakyabhav, he gives them that Sakya relationship permanently with him in the divine world. So he says, Aho Bhagyam Aho Bhagyam Nandagopakrajaukasam Yanmitram Paramanandam Purnam Brahma Sanatanam This is from the Bhagavatam. He says, So great are these friends of Sri Krishna, these Valvas. They're not ordinary boys. He says they are Purnam Brahma Sanatanam Mitram. They are the eternal friends of Absolute Supreme God. Imagine how great are these Gualvas, the friends of Sri Krishna. So these Gualvas, they had no restriction in how they had to act with Krishna. When they played a game, and don't think Krishna was acting, that, okay, I've said in Gita that however you love me, I have to love you the same way in return. So, okay, this soul considers me to be a friend. And even though I don't need anything from anybody, I'm going to act as this soul's friend. No, he forgets actually. Due to the effect of his special power called Swarup Shakti, in this situation, that power actually makes God lose the awareness of his godliness. And he's only aware of that relationship with that saint, with that soul who's God realized. So he is only aware of this Sakya relationship between him and this, his friend. He actually sees that person as his friend, not as a soul and I'm God, but a friend. And just like you want to be around your friends, you want to make your friends happy. In the same way, Krishna wants to be around his friends. He wants to see them happy. He wants to play with them and spend time with them. 
And in this interaction, both Krishna and the saints who have that Sakya Bhav, they enjoy a higher divine bliss, actually, than just seeing God as, oh, he's my king. This bliss of Sakya Bhav is further enriching. And it includes Dasya Bhav and Shant Bhav. But there's another form of loving God which is even higher than this and it is called Vatsali Bhav. In Vatsali Bhav you love God as your child. See the king would also have parents. So the king's mother, you can be sure that although she may in public give proper respect to the king. But in private, you think the king can escape getting scolded by his own mother? No way. <laughs> you may be the king for all of those people, but you're my son. And if I don't set you straight, who's going to? In the very same way, Shri Krishna's relationship with Mother Yashoda had this opposite thing where the king who is supposed to be in charge of everybody is now taking orders from someone else. God who is supposed to be the lord of the whole universe, he is now dependent to Mother Yashoda. Not just in a, not that he has said, oh okay, you worshipped me with Vatsalibhav, so I have to do this. No. He accepts in his heart completely, you are my mother. So he becomes dependent to that soul. Just like a young child becomes dependent to his parents, wants his parents' attention, wants, uh, will even cry when he doesn't get something he wants. One time Narajji came from the divine world to visit Sri Krishna, thinking that let me see what God is up to here. He's come and he's visiting this earth planet. Let me also see what is he up to. So he came down and he saw that there's this young boy and he's crying to get into his mother's lap. Mother Yashoda is normally very affectionate towards Sri Krishna, of course, but right now she's busy doing something, some chore, which is for Sri Krishna, whether maybe she's churning the butter, she's doing something that she needs to do for him. And he has come, and in his young innocence, he's demanding to get into her lap now. And she's saying, no, 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 I'll take you in my arms after, when I've done this, right now go and play. Krishna will not be denied. He wants to be in his mother's arms right now. He's so attached to her. So he starts stomping his feet on the ground. He's crying. He even drops down on the ground and rolls around like you see little kids do when they really throw a temper tantrum. He's doing all of that. So Naraji is thinking, is the boy God or is that woman God? <laughs> I thought that... God had come in the form of Sri Krishna, in the, in the male form, but here it looks like this woman must be God. 
Because I thought the soul would cry to get into God's arms. But here God is trying to get into the soul's arms. In other words, the tables have been totally turned. One Jnani saint who up until now had only experienced God as being formless, he happened to come through Braj when Sri Krishna was there and he saw Krishna tied up by Mother Yashoda, tied up to the Ukhav. He was also amazed seeing how the tables have been turned on God. He says, Yashodaya samakapi devata nasti bhutale ulukhale yaya baddho muktido mukti michati. Oh, how great is Mother Yashoda! There could be no devata and no entity in this world who could be equal to her. Because she has tied up Supreme God and the giver of liberation. The one who gives liberation from Maya to all the jnanis and yogis, he is begging for his liberation from this soul. That is the greatness of Vatsalya The price is not higher. You see, the closeness to God is more and more. The ras, the, the richness, the sweetness of that relationship is growing more and more. But the price is not growing. In this world you pay, you get what you pay for, right? You want something better, you have to pay more. But Shri Krishna doesn't charge anything for having any of these bhav. It's our choice. There's no price on a divine thing because you can't pay a price for a divine thing. So all you have to do is surrender to Him with this bhav. So He says, you chose Vatsalya bhav? Okay, you become my mother, you become my father. You chose Sakya bhav? Okay, you become my friend forever. And even though in our devotional period, there's such a big difference between us and God, yet He says, forget about that. Forget about you're just a soul and I'm Supreme God. How will you love me if you think of me as Supreme God? Can a beggar ever truly think that, that he could marry a princess and become a king? No. He'll think of marrying another beggar. So if we think, oh God is so great, why would he ever look towards me? That would be our attitude. Why would he look towards me? Why would he give me two seconds out of his day? He is Atmaram Purnakam. He doesn't have a desire in the world. He's totally self-complacent, self-satisfied. He doesn't need anything from anyone. Then why would he have a relationship with me? So, actually saints have said, forget about that part than how great God is. Okay, you know He's God, that's fine. Just like the mother knows the king is the king, that's fine. She says, forget about that, you're my son. The friend says, you may be the king, that's fine, but you're my friend. In other words, the friendship makes you forget about the kingliness. So this dasyabhav, sakyabhav, vatsalyabhav, it's to make you forget about God being God. And it also makes God forget that He's God. 
And that's how the sweetness comes out of the relationship or comes into that relationship. There's a good example of this in the Gita that although Sri Krishna was Arjuna's Sakha, he was his friend and cousin, yet when Sri Krishna was telling this, all this knowledge of Gita to Arjuna sitting on the battlefield, he kept telling him actually about his godly greatness, that I am Supreme God. Mattaha parataram nanyat inchidasti dhananjaya Maisargamidam protam sutre manigana iva Oh Arjun, there is nothing that is beyond me. Everything exists inside of me. I am supreme. I uphold the existence of everything in this world. Uttama purushas kwanya paramatne tyudahrita Yolo I am the supreme divine being. I omnipresently envelop and uphold every particle of this universe. Yasmat charmati toha makcharadapichottama atosmiloke vedecha prathita purushottama O Arjun, I am superior to the Mayak energy and to all the souls. I am the governor of Maya and the lord of all the souls. Therefore, I am known as Paramatma and Purushottam. So he's telling Arjun all of this. And Arjun is just seeing, well, you just look like normal, my friend, my cousin. So how am I to believe that you are God? Well, actually, he said, I do believe it, but now I want to see it. So Sri Krishna showed him. He graced him since he was surrendered. With Krishna's grace, he got divine vision. And with that divine vision, divine eyes, Krishna showed him his almightiness. In other words, he showed him how is he the king? How is he the lord of the universe? And Arjun saw Krishna's greatness, that he is everywhere and the whole world is within him and he practically saw his unlimited power and he was literally shaking in his boots. <laughs> he was so overwhelmed seeing this that in the end he says, Prasida Devesha Jagannivasa Oh Krishna, please this is amazing, but I don't want to see you like this anymore. It's too much. I want to see you as my friend again. Please become, resume your normal form as you were before. And then all of that almighty vision vanished and Arjun just saw Krishna sitting on the chariot, smiling at him as he was before. So that's the difference between, oh, your supreme God and Arjun is so overwhelmed. That's how we would be in that situation. So Krishna says, forget about that almightiness. Sure, I am almighty God, but forget about that. Make me your friend. Make me your son. Make me your master, but don't just keep me as supreme God. Just like when he came as Narsingh Bhagwan. 
half man and the top half lion. And he killed a huge, powerful demon. And he was roaring now that he's killed the demon and he's looking so ferocious. We would be afraid if we went and we went to the zoo and we were looking at the lions and one of those lions got out of his cage and was roaring. How afraid would we be of a material lion? Now imagine seeing God in His unlimited almightiness in the form of a lion roaring. Everyone was frightened. Now there was some discussion that, well, He's come and He's killed this demon on our behalf. And whenever God appears before someone, generally it's protocol that someone has to do His stuti, someone has to sing His greatness, praise Him as a way of thanking Him. So who's going to go forward and show gratitude on our behalf? Who's having this discussion? Brahma, Shiva, Indra. Shivji is saying to Brahma, Hey, you're the creator of the Brahman. Why don't you go first? We'll go behind you. And Brahma says, You're the destroyer of the Brahman. You're so powerful, you just open your third eye and the whole Brahman is turned to ashes. They're both saying, No, 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 I'm not going in front of him like this. They asked Lakshmi, O Mataji, you are his Ardhangini, you are his divine consort, surely you can go in front of him and he'll become calm. No, 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 I don't go in front of him when he's like this. <laughs> so Prahlad, seven-year-old Prahlad, his devotee for whom he had come to save from that demon, he says, oh, what are you all so afraid of? He's mine, that's it nothing to be afraid of. And he boldly walked in front and behind him came Brahma, Shiva, Indra, Lakshmi, everybody. And he did stupi of Narsing Bhagwan. And Narsing Bhagwan picked him up on his huge paws. Just on one paw he could support Prahlad and with the other one held his head and then he danced. So Prahlad's love made him forget his Bhagavatta. Bhagavatta means his almightiness. In this way, if we really want to really delve into the meditation and develop real feelings of love and attachment for God through our meditation, then we have to add one of these bhav. We should adopt one of these bhav in our mind and actually picture ourselves in the meditation interacting with Sri Krishna according to that bhav. Now there's one more bhav, Madhurya bhav, which actually incorporates all of these. I'll explain more about that tomorrow and I'll also talk about a couple more important points that you will want to keep in mind in order to get maximum benefit from this Rudhyana. Today we'll spend the last, the rest of our time doing some meditation. Before we do that, is there any anyone who wants to ask any question? Not a lot of questions this week.
I guess you've all heard me speak so many times. You don't have any questions left. <laughs> Today's meditation will be to incorporate these bhav. So go ahead and close your eyes. Choose for yourself which bhao you want to adopt in your meditation. You can change, it's okay, try them, try the different ones, see what you feel. You can think of yourself as a servant serving Sri Krishna. You can think of yourself as his friend. Included in this friendship would be if you made him your brother. You, and you were his brother or his sister. You can do the same thing with Radharani. She could be your friend or your sister. Or you could be the parent, actually, the mother or the father. And Sri Krishna or Radharani could be anywhere from a newborn baby up to a full-grown youth. their age, you can decide in your own meditation. And in Madhuri Bhav, which I'll explain more tomorrow, that's the feeling of beloved, divine beloved, soul to God relationship, which incorporates all the relational feelings of the human heart. So you can choose which relationship you want. you're having trouble focusing, you can also try adding in a Leela, a Sakyabhau Leela, where Krishna is playing with his friends and you will also join in a Vatsavyabhau Leela, where Shri Krishna is with his mother or you are his mother and something is happening, some interaction is happening. Or you can reenact a Leela that you've heard of from Bhagavat or from Suridas or any other great saint. You could consider yourself to be a gopi and join in any Madhuri Bhav Leela with Radha and Krishna. So you can add in the Leela, you can use any of your five senses or all of your five senses. If you're not a visual person, then use your other senses. These are all options. You don't have to try to do them all at once. Just if you find that your mind is wandering, then try something different and see if that will be able to hold the attention of your mind. in this way, thinking of your own personal relationship with Sri Krishna, we'll also start chanting. So the chanting will help us by blocking out external noises and distractions, 
if we're feeling sleepy, it can help us to stay more alert if we sing along. And it helps us to develop our feelings even more because God's name is also the same as God. So by chanting, it helps us feel even closer to Him. Thank you. 